Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country, with a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you hear, uh, I just went through puberty this weekend, so for those of you, I went from being a nine-year-old to a big boy 10-year-old now, so if you hear the voice, you know that I've been talking all weekend, so my voice is a little worn out, so we probably won't go too long over today. We're barely making it. Tomorrow, we've got to save our voice for tomorrow. Tomorrow is what? Tomorrow is the collision of faith and politics. We do two hardcore, hard-hitting hours. Last week, we had over 611,000 listeners to Monday's show where we heard Mark Herr of the Center for Self-Governance talk about the uh, Oregon standoff with the Hammonds. And uh, he has very specific, very special knowledge. I encourage you to go to centerforselfgovernance.com and plug in your state to see where we do trainings in your in your state. It's, all you do is just the drop down, put your state in, gives you all the classes in your state. It's amazing. We're going to have uh, classes in Delaware. Uh, are we doing any in Pennsylvania, too, or are we just doing Delaware this round? Just Delaware in January, so uh, time is among us is on us, so uh, get on there and look if you're in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania. We have people come from all kinds of different states to get the training, So, and New Jersey. New Jersey's right across the water, so we're, we're eager to have you. It's, it's phenomenal. Chat room is open, so thank you very much for joining us there. And uh, we want to continue praying for my good friend, uh, Chris Cahalan. He uh, is, of course, uh, home uh, on the feeding tube. He's improving the uh, intestines have not awakened yet, but we're praying that they do any day. He is improving, and he's getting gaining his strength and all of that. Pray for my brother, buddy Eric uh, to get his strength back, and we just, uh, we're so thankful for a God that listens to us. We don't have a God that listens to us. We have the God that listens to us. We also pray for the Philadelphia police officer. What a brave dude on video to take 11 rounds like that and to get out of his police car and chase the guy down and shoot him. Uh, of course, that wasn't a Muslim issue. It wasn't Islam, according to Mayor newly installed Mayor Kennedy. That, that that was just that was just violence is all. Doesn't have anything to do with Islam. No, he was shouting Alu Akbar. I don't know. This is a tip. I might have something to say about that tomorrow. So resolutions of the fully resolved. The resolutions of the fully resolved. We say so many things in this day and age that mean nothing. We carelessly waste words and precious oxygen speaking nothingness into the air. And I often wonder, what becomes of the refuse of an idle mind? Today we learn a different way. We learn in a different way, and we learn a different way, a better way. The Bible, the scriptures in Ecclesiastes 5, 3, and 4 read this way. If you make a vow to God, don't delay in discharging it, for God takes no pleasure in fools. So discharge your vow. Better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not just charge it. In other words, that's a complete Jewish Bible. In other words, better to not make a resolution and not do it than to make a resolution and do it. Ooh, wait a second. That's a little scary. I'm using vow and resolution. Let's see if we can link the two. So it's resolution time again. Of course, we're here. What is this? The second, third week of of January, and it's resolution time again. Everybody, the gyms are all full. You know, they always say, give them 20 days, and it'll be packed. It'll be crazy. Everybody's in there. They'll sell a lot of fitness gear, a lot of the accoutrements of the trappings of fitness, the fitness world, the Nutrisystems, all these different 
companies, they'll really, really uh, do a lot of profit, and then it'll fall off by about the 22nd day of January, they tell us. So last week I talked about new beginnings, because what, what did we talk about? We talked about the new beginnings. We look at that second between 2015 and 2016, and we say, I would hope, look forward to a new year, another year, but really it's just a difference of one second and a digit. How many of you are still writing 2015? I did it. I had a medical procedure done on Thursday. I must have written it three times. Of course, I hadn't eaten in 24 hours or more, and I was a little, if you see me, you know that <laughs> 24 hours, you're lucky I was walking. So we talk about new beginnings. Last week we talked about that. We talked about resolving to be resolved. I talked about knowing what you believe, knowing what matters most to you, and continually doing, and more importantly, living what matters most to you and what matters most to God. By the way, uh, I'm reminded of a soldier that we love here and uh, overseas. I don't know if he's listening, but uh, we, uh, we love you and we miss you and we pray for you daily. So he's probably sleeping, I would guess. How dare he miss my show? But uh, we just pray for all of his buddies and, and ask that they come home safely. And we pray for that family, the special operator that was killed. Apparently, uh, it was not a big enough deal to be mentioned. Uh, killed in combat. And uh, so uh, Josh Ernest, what a funny name for a guy who lies for a living. Josh Ernest uh, refused to acknowledge that that was a combat death. We're being ruled by evil, folks. Ruled by evil. I have a few resolutions related to that. We'll talk about tomorrow on tomorrow's show from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Resolutions, folks, are limited. What you resolve, it has to be real. And it can't be magic, and it can't require some sort of foo-foo magic dust, some kind of special beans. Walmart's not having a sale on foo-foo magic dust. So whatever you're resolving to do, it has to be actionable. It has to be doable. It has to be something real, something articulable. Look, if my resolution is to become an astronaut, as much as I want to go into space, which I do, I would. if they said, hey, you, you want to ride on the uh, space shuttle? Oh, wait, we don't have that anymore because Obama got rid of that. Now the NASA's, their main job is to, you know this, right? I'm not shocking any of you. He, his major commission to NASA the National Aeronautic and Space or, uh, Associates. What is it? A what's administration? Uh, they went from flying into outer space to researching Muslim contributions to the American people. That was their number one task. They so far, I don't, I haven't heard. I have not heard. But it, as if we were still doing the space shuttle, and someone called me and said, Sean. We're going to give you 90 days of training, and you're going to get to go up on the space shuttle. You're going to get to go into outer space. There's folks in this room know. I'd be like, yep, I'll do it. What do I have to do? I'd be happy to do it. That's What an exciting thing. But as much as I want to do that, I can sit there and say, my resolution is to be an astronaut this year, and by 2000, the end of 2016, I'm going to fly into space. That's not actionable. It's not reasonable. It's not articulable. That's not going to happen. And by the way, I want to put this out there. I mentioned Walmart. They are not having, I checked before we went live on air, they're not having an after Christmas or Festivus or Kwanzaa sale on Foo Foo Magic Dust, just so you know. I just want to clarify that. So again, let me read this again. Ecclesiastes 5, 4, and 5. If you make a vow to God, don't delay in discharging it, for God takes no pleasure in fools. So discharge your vow. In other words, do it. Do what you said you were going to do. Better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not discharge it. Better to not make a promise and not do it than to make a promise and not do it. So did I scare you there when I used vow and resolution together? Are some of you scratching your heads and saying, <clears throat> hold up, Dr. Sean. Whoa, up, slow down, slam dancer. Slow down, slam dancer. I didn't make any vow to God. I made a New Year's resolution, and that's all. 
I didn't make any vow to God. I made a New Year's resolution to me. I didn't make That's it. That's all I was doing. Well, folks, after last week, I think I've laid the groundwork for the perspective that we, what we're doing, what we are indeed doing is we're making a vow. When we make a New Year's resolution or a resolution around the the end of one year into another, the end of one week to another, the end of one day into another, we're making a vow. Webster's Dictionary defines vow this way, a solemn promise to do a specified thing, a dedication to something or someone, a commitment. We sought God about the changes he wants to make in our lives, the goals he has for us. We believe he's given us the wisdom and a specific goal. We believe all of this and that we are resolved. We've made a resolution. But I'm here to tell you, beloved, what we've actually made is a vow. So it's resolution time again. Last week I talked about new beginnings and resolving to be resolved. And that tripped a lot of people up. We had over 40,000 listeners, by the way, last week, which is really cool. Um, New beginnings. Everybody likes to think of new beginnings, don't you? Starting over. Man, I fumbled. Wouldn't the kicker for Minnesota like to have another shot at that? They showed a close-up of his foot, by the way, um, on the way here. We watched it just up, and then we had to get in the car and come. He. It wasn't that the laces were facing his foot, which, of course, is a kicker. You want the laces facing away. It was that the ground was so hard because it was zero degrees that when he planted his left foot next to the ball, it slid forward. And that thereby shifted his weight, and the kick went left. And they lost the game in the last second. Wow. New beginnings. He wished he could do that over again. Resolving to be resolved. That sounds redundant, doesn't it? We'll get into that. Knowing what you believe, what matters most to you, and continually doing it. You know what? If I said, look, I'm going to lose weight in 2016, I want to lose weight. It would help me to know, number one, how much weight do I want to lose? Number two, how am I going to do that? What am I going to eliminate? What am I going to increase? I have to eliminate something, right? I have to eliminate food. Not all food, but some food. I have to be smart about what I eat. I have to eliminate some things. That second, third, fourth, fifth, and eighth portion. Maybe the super high tensile 500-pound test plate that I've been using. Maybe I get a paper plate that's real flimsy, and I say, hey, I'm going to eat only what I can carry. And then I have to add some things, right? I have to add some things like exercise. I have to I have to be willing to sweat a little bit. I have to get on the treadmill. I have to do something. I have to walk a little bit. I have to move my body. I have to drink more water, which I'm going to drink right now. I'm not endorsing Rubio, by the way, by drinking this. Although, can we not all agree, Marco Rubio would be a far sight better than what we have or what the Democrats have put forward. Just saying. And then I mentioned to you, continually doing it. You, look, I, the first year of 2016, I can't say, I'm going to exercise all day. 24 hours, I'm going to exercise all day, I'm not going to eat anything, I'm just going to drink water and and I'm I'm just going to and I'm going to lose all the weight that I'm going to lose in 2016. You know what? I'd be right, wouldn't I? Because if I only do it that one day, I'm not going to lose a bit more weight. You can't do it all at one time. It's what I'm going to do today, tomorrow, and the next day continually doing. And then I talked about resolutions being limited. It has to be real, it can't be magic, can't require foo-foo magic dust. Doing better cannot save us. Look, I can I can eat better and I can I can drink more water and you know increase the fiber and do my H two O two and take all my vitamins, my Willard water and all these other things. I can do all these things and those are all good things. Those are all great things. But I have to know better to do better, right? Doing better cannot save us. So my good acts. If if one of my resolutions is, hey, I want to be a better person in 2016, my good acts don't necessarily make me better. Why? Because there's this little thing called intent. Why am I doing it? We'll talk more about that in a second. But you can absolutely do better when you know better. you got to know better to do better. 
You ever know somebody that grew up in filth? Their home is just filthy and nasty. Just terrible. You you felt bad for them. And, and then all of a sudden, you see them as adults. You go to their home, and their home is nasty. You ever know somebody that comes from a, a home full of alcoholics, and what do they do? They marry an alcoholic, or they, they're around alcoholics, or God forbid they become an alcoholic. That's how you grew up. You know, obesity, they say a lot of times, runs in a family. Here's the problem. Most of the time, you look at the eating habits of the families. And you say obesity doesn't run in the family. What runs in the family? Overeating. Too sedentary a lifestyle. Sometimes people say, well, that family's not that smart. They're just not that smart. And then you go and you be around the family and nobody reads books. Nobody studies anything. They just sit in front of the television and watch television all day long. It's not that they're not smart. They just don't try. They don't study. They don't apply themselves. They don't invest themselves. You know what else works? Do not commend us to God. What we do doesn't commend us to God. But obedience is indeed worship. And we must obey God if we are to truly worship God. Listen, you can tell me all day long, my son's in the back there, if he never obeyed me but he kept telling me he loved me, Dad, I love you, and then he stole my car or my truck. He'd only steal my truck once, let's be honest. What happened to Doyle? I don't know. He's just not around. Do you need some clothes or anything? They're his size. He won't be needing them. You know, uh, look, if if uh, if Doyle never obeyed, if he never obeyed, if my children never obeyed me, but they told me they loved me all the time, would you believe they loved you? No, and you shouldn't. Because an act of obedience is a sign of love. We demonstrate our love to God by obeying him. Well, what's the value of resolutions? It is good to set goals for ourselves. Why? Because it gives us a path. It gives us a roadmap. It gives us a measuring stick. Tonight we're going to uncover some of the resolutions of heroic Bible characters. So let's examine some of those Bible resolutions. Jacob, your Jacob, the resolution to give his tithe. Oof, he's already into tithe. He's barely two and a half weeks into the year. He's always talking about tithing. No, I don't always talk about it, but this really fits. So we're going to put it in here. Genesis 28:22 and this stone which I have set up as a standing stone will be God's house and of everything you give me I will faithfully return one tenth to you. First of all, what's a standing stone? Let's not gloss over that too quickly. That's a Hebrew uh it's a monument. Something to remind me of you forever, a standing stone. Something that if you walk by it you're going to see it, a statue. How many towns listening all across America and around the world have a statue in the middle of your town? Maybe it's Wilmington, Delaware. If you can brave the gunfire, the statue of Caesar Rodney in the middle of town. So you remember the great story of Caesar Rodney. Many different towns have statues of Martin Luther King or or, or uh, I know that they're working on a statue of, of uh, Chris Kyle. I know that... that uh, Mark Allen Lee, there's going to be a First Navy SEAL killed. My friend Debbie Lee, uh, her son, First Navy SEAL killed in Iraq. There is a movie coming out about Mark Allen Lee's life. It's out any, any day now. Tomorrow, History Channel. Check your check local uh, channel, History Channel. Thank you, Angie. Uh, so, so that's a standing stone. That's something that will stand the test of time. So he says, and this stone, which I have set up as a standing stone, will be God's house. And of everything you give me, I will faithfully return one-tenth to you. First, let's examine the conditions under which the resolution was made. It's important to know what kind of, what stuff was going on. What is the historical context? Well, Jacob was fleeing from Esau because he had defrauded him. A resolution made when he has little to give, which brings up the question, I always love this, which is the greater gift? When you are a poor person, the widow's mind, and you give all that you have, or when you're a rich person and you give much by comparison, but not to the point where it hurts, which is the greater gift? Anyway, I'm just throwing that as a thought grenade. You just think about it on your own. Lest you think the tithe or tenth means nothing, listen, Numbers 
mean a lot in Hebrew culture and worldview. The meaning of numbers in the Bible is very, very important. My super-duper top researcher gave me this, the number 10. This is just for fun. There's no cost or obligation to you. No added fee. In the Bible, the number 10 is used 242 times. Their designation 10th is used 79 times. 10 is also viewed as a complete and perfect number, as is 3, 7, and 12. It is made up of 4, the number of physical creation, and 6, the number of men. As such, it signifies testimony, law, responsibility, and the completeness of order. In Genesis 1, we find the phrase, God said ten times, which is a testimony of his creative power. God gave the ten commandments to man. Ten, therefore, represents man's responsibility to keep the commandments. A tithe is a tenth of our earnings and a testimony of our faith in the Lord. The Passover lamb was selected on the tenth day of the first month, Exodus 12.3. As was Jesus, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. John 12, 28 through 29, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. The tenth day of the seventh month is the holy day known as the Day of Atonement. This unique day of fasting pictures the removal of Satan, the author of sin, before the millennial reign of Jesus begins. That's Revelation 21. Here's this. This might mean something to you all. The last great world-ruling kingdom of man under Satan is symbolized prophetically by the ten toes of Daniel and the ten horns of Revelation. So Daniel 2, you go there and you read about that. I'm just make, not just making this up. The ten horns of Revelation, that's in Revelation 13 and 17. Here's some appearances of the number ten. Ten generations of man lived on the earth before the floodwaters came and swept away all those who were disobedient. Noah, the tenth generation, was 600 years when he and seven other family members entered the ark. <coughs> Excuse me. The patriarchs who preceded him are Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahalil, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, who was Noah's father. Incredibly, the average age of these ten patriarchs is 857 years. If we leave out the unusual circumstance of God transporting Enoch, at the age of 365, we end up with an average lifespan of 912 years. Isn't that fun to know? Little things don't mean a lot, folks. Little things mean everything. So Abraham commenced it, the idea of tithing. Genera uh, Genesis 14:20. Melchizedek, you've heard the term Melchizedek, king of Shalem, brought out bread and wine. He was the Cohen of Elion, God Most High. So he blessed him with these words. Blessed be Avram by El Elion, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be El Elion, who handed your enemies over to you. Avram gave him a tenth of everything. That's Genesis 14.20 in the complete Jewish Bible. Jacob continued it. He continued the act of tithing. Genesis 28.22, And this stone which I have set up as a standing stone, or lasting and public monument, will be God's house, and of everything you give me, I will faithfully return one-tenth to you. That word, everything, is important. People will like to trick, I don't know why they do it, I guess I seem like a fun mark for it, uh, but they always want to try to trip me up. They say, well now, when we tithe, are we supposed to tithe on our pre-tax income or our post-tax income? You know how I answer them? If you're, if you're asking me that question, then you had better do your pre-tax income because your heart is suffering with the minutia of what to give. I say it doesn't really much matter unless your heart is all twisted up over it. Well, I want to do the right thing. Your heart will lead you to do the right thing. Malachi commanded it. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tenth into the storehouse. So that there will be food in my house and put me to the test, says Adonai Svayot. See if I won't open for you the floodgates of heaven and pour out for you a blessing far beyond, beyond your needs. Let's look at those words there. The floodgates. Folks, when someone, we have flooding 
uh, in the Midwest, uh, terrible flooding. My goodness. You'd think nothing was going on, though. You don't hardly see it on the news, but there's whole towns that are gone. Floodgates, the idea of floodgates, the opening, rushing water coming against great gates, and then all of a sudden they're open. And what happens? Water has to have some place to go. But it's such a great and powerful thing. It's floodgates. It's more water. It's more uh, blessing, in this case, than you could ever imagine. And he's pouring out for you a blessing. He's not just a little dribble. He's not a little thimbleful, not a dropperful, but he's pouring it out. He's emptying it out for you beyond your needs. Jesus commended it in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three. Woe to you, hypocritical Torah teachers and prushim. You pay your tithes of mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of Torah, justice, mercy, and trust. These are the things you should have attended to without neglecting others. Now, I've gotten a big confrontation on the Internet uh, about Torah, and people were saying that um, there's, there's no need for Torah. Torah is no more. It's been, it's been abolished. But what did Yeshua say? He said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Nothing at all was put away. Anyhow, just for that, that's free of charge, too. Does tithing apply to Christians? I've heard a lot of people ask me that. It is clear that we are to give a portion of our income. Now, I'm here to tell you, the tenth, I would think, in many respects, would be the minimum. I know people that are led to give more than a tenth, a lot more than a tenth. I know a couple right now that give 50% of their income. You say, well, they must be rich. They're not rich. They're not rich. I'll give you a little hint. She travels all around the world speaking and teaching. Phenomenal patriot. And at different times in their ministry, which they stepped out on in total faith, God led them as a family to give 50% of everything that came in back to the ministry of God. It is clear that we are to give a portion. The suggested amount is a tenth. A tithe. First Corinthians sixteen two. Every week on Motzei Shabbat, each of you should set some money aside according to his resources and save it up, so that when I come, I won't have to do fundraising. Well, the ESV, the that's the complete Jewish Bible. The ESV renders the passage this this way: On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. You know what's interesting, and this struck me when I was studying for this message, that tithing began before the law of Moshe, or the law of Moses, was even given. Tithing began before that. But you know what else occurred to me? This is one of the easiest places to let down in your spiritual life. This is one of the easiest places to say, you know... This week, it was a tough week. And I know God doesn't want me to do without rice or beans for my family, so I'm not, I'm not going to give a tenth this week. I'm going to give, I'll give one-eightieth. I'll give an eighth. I'll give, you know, I'll give whatever, whatever the amount is. I'm going to cut it in half. I'm going to give a fifth. I'm going to give this. I'm going to go, you know, what, whatever, one-fiftieth. One, I'll pick a number. I'm bad at math because I've got a brain injury. One 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 hundredth, we'll say. I'm giving a tiny bit, but I'm giving something. I've got to give something. I'm going to put something in the plate. It's the easiest thing, right? Because we look at that and we say, you know what? I don't have anything. I have barely anything. If I give my tithe, I won't have anything to buy food for my family. I don't know about many of you, but I've been there. Straight up honest. We, you know, we've been through some tough times. We've been in that place, haven't we? But I'm here to tell you every time. I could tell you stories. Listen, I could make this a four-hour show and just tell you stories about what God has done in my life. Ways that he has poured out a blessing from nowhere. From nowhere. And I'm telling you those stories will blow your mind. And they're absolutely true because we live them. 
But it is one of the easiest places to let down. Because you say, God doesn't want me to be sensible. We'll use words like that. God doesn't want me to be irresponsible. I only have this. If I give this tenth, then I can't pay my rent. I've got a newsflash for you. If the tenth that you're to give to God is the amount you're to pay for rent, that's not your biggest problem. Money's probably not your problem. But you know what? I'll tell you what else is absolutely true. Tithing is one of the most practical areas to prove your faith. We've lived it. I alluded to it just a moment ago. We've lived it. We've. I remember her looking at me with the checkbook. Remember this? Sitting in church going, and then looking at me like, should I? And saying, yeah, let's do it. Or her just writing it out, me going, can I see the check? And going, whew, oh, Lord. You know, how are we going to make it? And then after that, I'm not saying this happens to everybody, but after that, some amazing, wild thing happens that we just have to laugh. We just have to look to the heavens and say, Father, you you have blown me away again. Not hesitant giving. Hesitant faith is no faith at all. But saying, let it rip. Whatever. God will feed us. He'll find a way. He'll find a way. We'll we'll do our job obeying him. We're making this our testimony to him. We're going to do this between us. We're not making a big deal of it. Nobody else knew. I can tell you there were times where uh, we had things happen that people that didn't even know us were involved. And we couldn't even explain to them what we were explaining to them. This cannot be. You don't understand. This can't be. And they said, yes, it is. Here, this is yours. This is your money. And we just shake our heads. And God poured out to us a hundred times what we gave. And I'm telling you, days later, and we just shook our heads and we praised God and we sat in a parking lot in Marysville, Ohio, in a little bank parking lot crying and praising God. God, you are so good. It's one of the most practical areas to prove your faith. I know this group, the live audience here, I know that you're faithful in tithing. I I experience that. Y'all are amazing. But all around the world, people listening to my voice, the whole notion of tithing. You know, some churches, they they don't teach on tithing. The pastors are afraid. Of course, they're afraid to talk about Obama. So they're afraid they're going to lose their 5C3 or maybe they're going to stomp on somebody's toes that good giver over there in row number eight to the right, about four seats in. They're afraid of ticking that fellow off, so they don't want to make him mad, so they don't they don't preach on certain things. One of those things is tithing. Prove your faith. Notice the challenge of Malachi 3.10. I'm going to read this again. Bring the whole tenth into the storehouse so that there will be food in my house and put me to the test, says Adonai Sveot. See if I won't open for you the floodgates of heaven and pour out for you blessing far beyond your needs. See how God rewarded Jacob in this, uh, Yaakov. Um, Genesis 32.10 speaks of this. Then Yaakov said, God of my father Abraham and God of of my father Yitzhak, Adonai who told me, return to your country and to your kinsmen, and I will do you good. I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you have shown your servants since I crossed the Ardennes with only my staff, but now I've become two camps. In other words, God has blessed them even more than he could have ever imagined, more than he could have ever envisioned. What about David's resolutions concerning God's word? What resolutions did David make? What vows did David make? Psalm 119, 15-16, I will meditate on your precepts and keep my eyes on your ways. I will find 
my delight in your regulations. I will not forget your word. Deal generously with your servant, then I will live and observe your word. Open my eyes so that I will see the wonders from your Torah. That's Psalm 119, 15 through 18. How about this? I will meditate in thy precepts. That speaks of the importance of meditating on God's word. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. That means, that's a way of saying, fancy talk, of thinking. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. That's Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh, this is King James Version here, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. For as a man thinketh. How many of you have ever heard of an author by the name of James Allen? Very much along the lines of C.S. Lewis, one of the first motivational writers and speakers of self-improvement. But what you might not know about this man from well over a century ago is, is from Leicester, England, is that he actually, maybe we could put that up so it doesn't do that, um, actually got everything that he wrote from Scripture. Very, very powerful. James Allen. He wrote uh, several books. I have 21 of his books. I obtained them for the low, low price of $1.99. You could get one book for 99 cents, or you could get all 21 for $1.99. Such a deal. I got all 21. Thought and character, the aphorism. I'm going to read this to you, and I think it's, it's very, very powerful. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, not only embraces the whole of a man's being, but is so comprehensive as to reach out to every condition and circumstance of his life. A man is literally what he thinks, his character being the complete sum of all of his thoughts. Very biblical in nature. As the plant springs from and could not be without the seed, so every act of a man springs from the hidden seeds of thought and could not have appeared without them. This applies equally to those acts called spontaneous and unpremeditated as to those which are deliberately executed. Act is the blossom of thought, and joy and suffering are its fruits. Thus does a man garner in the sweet and bitter fruitage of his own husbandry. Thought in the mind hath made us. We, what we are by thought, was wrought and built. If a man's mind hath evil thoughts, pain comes on him, as comes the wheel, the ox behind. If one endure in purity of thought, joy follows him, as his own shadow sure. Man is a growth by law and not a creation by artifice. And cause and effect is as absolute and undeviating in the hidden realm of thought as in the world of visible and material things. A noble and godlike character is not a thing of favor or chance, but is the natural result of continued effort in right thinking. The effect of long-cherished association with God-like thoughts. An ignoble and bestial character by the same process is the result of the continued harboring of groveling thoughts. Man is made or unmade by himself. In the armory of thought he foregoes or forges the weapons by which he destroys himself. He also fashions the tools with which he builds for himself heavenly mansions of joy and strength and peace. By the right choice and true application of thought, man ascends to the divine perfection. By the abuse and wrong application of thought, he descends below the level of the beast. Between these two extremes are all the grades of character. And man is their maker and master. 
of all the beautiful truths pertaining to the soul which have been restored and brought to light in this age, none is more gladdening or fruitful of divine promise and confidence than this, that man is the master of thought, the molder of character, and the maker and shaper of condition, environment, and destiny as a being of power, intelligence, and love, and the Lord of his own thoughts. Man holds the key to every situation and contains within himself that transforming and regenerative agency by which he may make himself what he wills. Man is always the master, even in his weaker and most abandoned state. But in his weakness and degradation, he is the foolish master who misgoverns his household. When he begins to reflect upon his condition and to search diligently for the law upon which his being is established, he then becomes the wise master, directing his energies with intelligence and fashioning his thoughts to fruitful desires. Such is the conscious master. And man can only thus become by discovering within himself the laws of thought, which discovery is totally a matter of application, self-analysis, and only by much searching and mining are gold and diamonds obtained. And man can find every truth connected with his being if he will dig deep into the mind of his soul and that he is the maker of his character, the molder of his life, the builder of his destiny, he may unerringly prove if he will watch, control, and alter his thoughts, tracing their effects upon himself, upon others, upon his life and circumstances, linking the cause and effect by patient practice and investigation, and utilizing his every experience, even to the most trivial, everyday occurrence as a means of obtaining the knowledge of himself, which is understanding, wisdom, and power. In this direction, as in no other, is the law absolute, that he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be open. For only by patience, practice, and ceaseless importunity can a man enter the door of the temple of knowledge. Folks, that's James Allen, written 1900s, from Leicester, England. Could you not see his self-immersion into biblical precepts that says, hey, don't blame God, don't blame the devil, it is your thoughts that you pursue. If they are evil, and if you have invested nothing into Scripture, if you've not immersed yourself into scriptural thought, things of God, the thoughts of God, the mind of Christ, that you've only groveled like animals, then it is an animal that you shall be. Powerful. Folks, we've got to take God's Word into our minds on a regular basis. It's so critical. Excuse me. We have devices such as what I hold in my hand. This device here, I have 30 Bibles on this little device. I have probably 40 or 50 Bibles on this device. And then via the Internet, I have many more. Scripture with us anywhere. We don't even risk being ridiculed, do we? Only that someone would say, hey, can you get off of Facebook for 10 seconds and pay attention here? but we could be reading our scripture. We could be working on memorizing the precepts that gave James Allen all those years ago the knowledge to write such powerful truths. I will delight myself in thy statutes. Folks, it's not to be a drudgery, but it's to be a daily delight, immersing ourselves in Scripture. Do you know Scripture is like a love letter to you from the Lord? Why wouldn't we read that? How many of you have ever received a love letter that you just couldn't put down? 
that you read over and over and over. That is what Scripture is for us. I will not forget thy word. Listen, folks, you cannot forget what you first do not know. You can't forget what you don't know in the first place. We have to learn first. And what does this call for? This calls for memorization. Memorization of the Bible, folks, is not just for children. Folks, I used to know entire books of the Bible before my crash, April 12, 2012. Huge chunks I could recite in Hebrew, in the original language. I could, I could recite whole sections of the Bible freely with no struggle or challenge. The crash happened, and because of my brain injury, all of that is gone. And now I have to struggle to memorize even the simplest of things. I remember as I was laying in our bed at home and people, I think maybe you were even there reading to me a book you wish I'd never asked you to read. A book by Skip Moen, Dr. Moen, one of my professors. And I remember laying there as my mind drifted because I was in and out of consciousness. And I remember trying to remember the verses and being terrified that I couldn't remember. Things I knew so well the moment before. Now I had no recollection. I want to ask you, why not try our dear friend Susan down in Texas? God bless you if you're listening. Linda, we miss you. I know you're not down there, but we miss you. Hope you feel better. Linda had, or uh, Susan had the suggestion, why not as a group here, a live audience, and maybe this is something I could issue a challenge to our entire audience, is to read through the Bible. I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but read through the Bible in one year. Why not begin to memorize verses each week of every year? How many would you know if you only just knew 10%? The value of a resolution to read the Bible throughout the year. Do you know that here's the math on it? I didn't figure this out. This was figured out for me. Four chapters daily gets us through the Bible in a year. Read four chapters of the Bible. Four chapters. Only four. And you're through the Bible in a whole year. In just one year. Reading three chapters on weekdays and five on Sunday will also help us cover the whole Bible. Isn't that something? Didn't you think that you had to read so much more than that? But it doesn't work out that way. It works out much easier. Anybody has time for that. How about Daniel's resolution? I told you I would talk about the the uh, the resolutions of the biblical greats, the heroes. Daniel's resolution concerning living a clean life. Daniel one eight. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine he drank. So he asked the chief officer to be excused from defiling himself testimony of a teenager, 15 years old, his country taken by a foreign power, he had been chosen to study at the palace. What did he do? He decided in his heart to dare to be different. Isn't it easy to just go along with the crowd? Daniel resolved to be different, and the cost was huge. The word defile means to soil or pollute, by the way. There's plenty of pollution around. I talked about uh, the Bibles that were hosted on this on this little phone I'm holding up. I need to stop saying what kind it is because I'm giving them an awful lot of free publicity they don't need. But, you know, the different electronic devices that I use. And I talked about how you can have scripture and commentaries and references and so many things. I have the Thompson Chain reference on all of my devices. 30 or 40 translations. But you know what else comes on these devices? You know what? There's lots of things out there. There's pornography. There's pornography on your phone. There's pornography on your tablet. Pornography on your laptop. Plenty of viewing material that defiles. It's free to view, and it's addictive at its first bite. Daniel made a decision for holiness, of a life that will go against the flesh, and society will say, just as they said to him, you are a fool. Such a challenge that he presented to us, a resolution, a vow, I will not defile myself. 
with your things. Holy living always pays dividends. But isn't holy living hard? Nobody likes to talk about holiness now. Truth be told, I don't like to talk about it because I've got so many hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I'm so jacked up in so many areas of my life. It's a, it's a big pressure back upon myself. But holiness, holy living, the one thing we know about it is that it always pays dividends. I want to ask you, what are your resolutions for Yeshua HaMashiach today? For Jesus Christ, what are your resolutions? What are you resolved? In what areas are you resolved this year? Then I want you to think about those areas of resolution and how much impact if you actually make a standing stone, if you actually feed your mind the precepts of Scripture, scripture just as that great Brit James Allen did in 1902 or 1907, whenever he wrote that. And he said, fill your mind with this. And there will be virtually nothing you can't do. But if you fill your mind with that of animals, you will grovel as animals. We always say we don't have what we need. Some folks say this is a very grateful group here. But in our audience, all around the world, there are many that struggle every single day. We have teachers in the room. And I'm sure you have kids that come into your class that haven't eaten. They're talented. You teach in a school for gifted and talented kids. They're talented. They're smart. They could do so many things, but their home life is horrible. We have so many that, that interface. You are a physician, and you have little kids come into you. I'm sure sometimes are terrifying. You used to be a teacher, and you it, I'm sure you were exposed to kids that came from a rough way of living. What if what we fill our minds with are those of God? And what if in those moments that we teach them, what comes out of us is the good of God, the good of a pursuit toward holy living. God bless you and keep you. Join us tomorrow at 4 p.m. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.